Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Terry. We sure appreciate you spending Saturday morning with us. If you got a question or a comment on the show, give us a call. It's 291-6901. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We sure wish you would. And the last couple of shows, announcing the time, because I had a lot of people say, well, I'd like to listen to you live sometime. Uh-huh. I don't know exactly what time. So locally... In the Baton Rouge area, the show always airs at 10 a.m. That's Central Daylight Time. Of course, Correct. Next week will be Central Central Standard, Daylight Time, Central Standard Time. This go. week, there you go. I think it changes this week. But if you can do the math on your where the time zone you may be in and want to listen to us live, that would be the time. And I, I know the iHeart Radio carries the show on the station. Our local station is WBRP uh, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, right. 107.3. So if you want to go to iHeart, you can log in. That way you can listen to us live if you care to. If not, you can listen to us on podcast. It's actually a cleaner feed that you get on the podcast. I go in and edit out the commercials <laughs> and the uhs and ahs. There you go. <laughs> all that kind of memorabilia. <laughs> I thought we would talk a little bit today. We get a lot of email on certain topics, and one of the most common is on misfires. Uh-huh. And a lot of folks don't realize what a misfire is. Maybe they notice symptom or they notice sensation. But a misfire is where one or more of the cylinders does not fire when it was supposed to. This can be very, very obscure as in one misfire, or it can be a continuous misfire where one cylinder is dead missing or any range in between. Correct. So it can give you a number of sensations that may all feel differently. And if when this happens, the check engine light is going to come on. It which will. If it on. catches enough misfires, it will. Unfortunately, like on your Ford products particularly, the misfire counter, it may have to miss a significant number of times. You may feel it way before the light will catch it. Mm-hmm. It has to miss a certain number of times within a given RPM range. And if it's random, for instance, let's say it misses at 500 RPM and then the engine accelerates to 700 RPM and it doesn't miss at that range, it's not going to pick it up. It has to see consecutive misfires at a certain range over a certain period. I've seen some of the Ford products, you could almost unplug the wire on one of the call packs and it won't even set a check engine light, which is kind of strange, but I mean, it'll eventually catch it. Right. But with that, they do have what they call mode six data where you can go in, you can see the misfires. It'll actually put them out on a graph, and you can, yeah. you can watch the graph and determine which cylinder is not firing correctly. Mm-hmm. And it can be as subtle as just like a little glitch. It may feel like a slight hesitation. It may feel like just running rough. It just depends on how many misfires, what RPM range, and how consecutive they are mm-hmm. as to the way you're going to experience it. So it's one of those things that gets misdiagnosed a lot. A lot of times people come in and say, well, I've got a rough idle. And you check the car, and they've got a misfire at idle. But it's like, well, no, it's, it's not missing. It's just rough. Mm-hmm. But it, what it is, it's not missing every single time it goes round. For instance, at, let's just say, 500 RPM, it misses once every four times or five times. Well, again, it's not going to be a consecutive miss. You know, if it goes to a dead miss, that's where it misses every single time. You're going to pick up on that a lot faster. Sure. And so it's going to feel really, really rough to you. Something where it's only missing maybe one in every 10 cycles of the engine. You may be hardly perceptible, just a slight roughness. Right. The computer's monitoring all this, and it's trying to cover it up. It's trying to cover it up. Mm -hmm. It's trying to make that miss go away. 
And what you're feeling is the computer not being able to Correct. cover this up. And the reason why misfires, other than being annoying, uh-huh. they, they feel either cause the car to run rough, lose power, miss, you know, jump up and down, all those sorts of things. But depending on the nature of the misfire, for instance, let's say we have an ignition misfire. A number of things can cause it, but let's say the ignition does not fire when it should. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things. For instance, if we have a spark plug that the gap has gotten too wide, and so the computer has boosted the duty cycle on the call pack to try to cover it up. Eventually, the call pack gets hot and starts shutting down, and then you start to get a misfire on the load. Well, the reason that that is so dangerous or so bad is that not only is it a misfire, but every time that ignition spark does not fire, you've got a charge of gasoline which has been sprayed into the engine. Which, the injector still fires. Right, which should be combusted by the ignition system. That's correct. And if it's not, then that charge of fuel goes directly out the exhaust port into the catalytic converter. Right. Now, you've got a catalytic converter whose job it is to burn up the oxides of nitrogen and those sorts of things to keep them getting in the atmosphere. But it's running anywhere from probably 800 to 1,200 degrees. Sure. You start pumping gasoline into it, and that will very quickly escalate to about 2,000 degrees, which will melt that converter. Right. Now, depending on what kind of car you got, you may have one, two, three, or four, maybe even more catalytic converters on this car. And those can cost anywhere from two to three hundred dollars for a real cheap one, up to maybe eight nine hundred for an average one, up to a couple each. thousand each. Yeah, on some vehicles. So the problem with the misfire is that if it is an ignition misfire or say a compression misfire, then each time that charge of gasoline is going through the system and not being burned, so it could take out a catalytic converter really really fast. Sure. Now, yeah. there's a number of things that can cause a misfire. Basically, for the engine to run, it's got to have a number of things. Sure. Number one, it has to have a spark to ignite the fuel layer mixture. Number two, it has to have fuel mm-hmm. in the cylinder. Number three, it has to be compressed because if you don't compress it, it's not explosive. And number four, it all has to be timed properly. Correct. So any one of these four things will stop can cause a misfire. And unfortunately, there are probably a couple of hundred things, if not more, maybe a couple of thousand things that can cause any one of these four to, to not, not operate like properly. So diagnosing misfires can be very difficult. Yes, it can. I mean, sometimes it's simple. Some of the more common things, the spark plugs go bad, the call packs go bad. These are fairly common, and these are relatively easy to diagnose. Well, what you get into is when you start having electrical problems, let's say the PCM has dropped the driver to that to that cylinder, right. to that coil. Well, that coil is not going to fire. Right. So if you go in and you start uh, changing parts, you may never find the direct problem because the computer is not sending the signal for the coil to operate. That's correct. And another thing is that if a cylinder starts to misfire on some vehicles, the computer will automatically cut the power to the injector on Uh that cylinder to try to prevent catalytic converter damage. So if you go in and start looking for a problem without knowing what you're doing, let's say you've got a bad ignition call on the car. Well, you start checking things with a voltometer, and it reads okay within the parameter, but it's still bad because it's intermittent. Then you check the injector, and you see no pulse to the injector. Well, that might lead you to believe, well, the computer must be bad. Mm Mm-hmm. So then you go stick a computer in at sizable expense. If you can find one. If you can find one. And then you still have the same misfire. 
because the misfire was actually an ignition misfire and the computer was shutting down the injector driver to prevent damage to the catalytic converter. So Correct. you can go wrong a number of ways. We're going to take our first quick little break. We're back. We'll tell you some ways that you can keep from being wrong a lot more times than not. There you go. If you ever plan to move west. Hello, you must be Glenda de Goodrich. Uh, relax on the couch and tell me what's stressing you out. Do you know how stressful it is to be good all the time? I don't want to be wicked, but sometimes I just like to not say thank you or pinch a bratty kid or stick my finger in a chocolate. And if I don't like the flavor, put it back in the box. Oh, that would be divine. Unfortunately, Glenda, I can't assist you with your goodness issues. Uh, but for peace of mind, schedule an annual general inspection with Agco Automotive. Zell Check out your vehicle, perform needed maintenance, and let you know about future repairs. Sad ways, there are no surprises. Well, you definitely want your automotive repair shop to be good and not wicked. A young girl once told me there's no place like home. And I've got to go. Just bill me. I'll be somewhere over the rainbow. Toodaloo! Hmm, that little witch might not be so good after all. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. Put you right up straight to the top of the list. That it will. And before the break, we were talking about misfires. misfires. The most handy thing i guess in diagnosing a misfire and fortunately this is relatively easy to have an obd2 scanner is there are two broad categories of misfires you have a general misfire that is each of the cylinders may be missing a certain amount may be affected something affecting all of the cylinders equally right. then you have a single cylinder misfire that's like a code po301 which would be a Single cylinder misfire on code on cylinder number one. Right. The PO three hundred is a general misfire. General code. misfire. All that means is that it's a misfire that's not on okay. one cylinder. Now it's, it's got individual misfires on every cylinder or the majority of cylinders. It could basically be a general misfire. Yes. A lot of times we will get people who will call and they'll say, Well, I had a miss under load, so I changed the fuel filter and that didn't help it. And what do you think it could be? And you stop and you say, okay, now wait a minute. Do you have a single cylinder misfire or a general misfire? Right. There's because if. Two different diagnostics. Yeah, procedures. if you have a general misfire, well, maybe a fuel filter could affect that because it's going to affect the fuel to every cylinder. Correct. Contaminated fuel is going to affect every cylinder. Things like that are going to be global. Something like a bad mass airflow sensor is going to affect every cylinder equally. Now, if you've got a single cylinder misfire, now you're something that's particular to that one cylinder. Whatever that may be. Whatever that may be. Now, one of the most common things, as we mentioned earlier, are the spark plugs and right. the calls, simply because plugs are a wearing part of the car. Correct. Depending on what type of design you have, the interval for replacement could be anywhere from 30,000 to 130,000 100, right. miles. and what will happen, we had a call last week, and the guy said he had someone had told him he needed to change spark plugs, but the car was running fine. Why should he do it? Exactly. Well, it will run fine because as the gap gets wider, the energy to ionize that gap gets greater. What the computer does is just gives more duty cycle to the call. Makes it, makes it burn longer. M burns longer. So what happens is those calls are designed with about a 5% duty cycle in mind. You start pushing them up to 10 20%. You start burning up calls. Mm-hmm. 
and it may not just burn like zero one. It may burn it, short a couple of wires together that touch sometimes, don't touch other times. So it may be an intermittent misfire. Correct. Now, that will generally be peculiar to a single cylinder because one call is going to burn up or two or whatever. Now, the best way, to, if you know which cylinder is being affected, the best thing to do is go after the easiest things first. Now, there are, like we said earlier, at least four things that can cause a misfire. Right. One is spark, two is fuel, three is compression, and four is timing. Now, if you've got a misfire on cylinder number one but not on number two, as long as the calls are the same, which usually they are, the they and are. the plugs are the same, what you might do is take the spark plug out of number one, move it to number two, then take the call off number three and move it to number one. Now, drive the car again. If the misfire moved to number two, then you already know it's going to be a bad spark plug. Sure. If it moved to number three, then it's a bad coil. So with one very simple procedure. Well, and if it didn't move at all. Didn't move at all, then you, then know, it's you know it's something different. Then you know it's something else. Now, you could also say, well, what else could it be? Well, it could be a bad injector. Sure. So we might move the injectors just like we did the calls and the plugs from one cylinder to another and see if the misfire moves. The advantage to doing the plugs first is, number one, they're it's easy. probably more likely that it's going to be the plug. Well, and it's a lot easier to change a plug than it is to change on, a injector on most engines. On certain applications. Yeah, unless yeah, it's some, underneath yeah, the intake right. manifold, which they're, they're just about equally hard. Exactly. But these are the ways you can go about a logical sort of a sequence rather than just go in and say, okay, well, I'm just going to change all the plugs. Okay, you change all the plugs and the misfire remains. Okay, well, what does that mean? You don't know. doesn't mean anything. You haven't gathered any information by right. doing that, whereas moving the plug would have isolated this out or not isolated it out. You know, if you changed all the plugs, you still got a misfire. Okay, well, that could mean it wasn't a plug, but or it could also mean you got another bad plug. Very possible. Yeah. Or it got damaged in you know, damaged installation. installing it. All kinds of things that can come into that and throw you off on a tangent. By moving the parts that you already have, you can verify... These parts are good or bad. Well, you know that the one on number two is a known good part because it's, it's not, not misfiring. misfiring at all. Number one, there's something in the cylinder that is. So you move them, and if it moves, all right, you the know part what you part move. it is. If you move it and nothing happens, then you got to go to plan B. Right. Plan B might be, okay, let's see how hard it is to move the injectors. If it's not that difficult, swap the injectors. Now, does the misfire move? Yes, no. If it does not move again, okay, next thing you'd want to do is go in and check the compression on that sure. cylinder. Because if you have no compression or low compression that cylinder, it's going to misfire. You can move all the parts you want around. It's not going to affect it because the internal problem in the engine. And there's any number of things that can cause that. It could be a burnt valve. It could be a sticking valve. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could be like you had mentioned during the break on the displacement on demand where the tray has worn out, the plastic tray because you didn't change your oil off enough, and the lifter's turned around the bore, and now it's not. Or getting feed to the lifter to open up. Or worse yet, it turned halfway and right. it rounded the cam off. Right. So then you're into a much deeper situation, but you still have the misfire you have to contend with. Right. Now, if you check the compression on that cylinder, and let's say it's got 30 pounds of compression in that cylinder, you check the one next to it, it has 140 pounds in that one. Well, you know something's going on in the first Something's one. going on in this cylinder. Now, at that point, you have to decide, okay, how handy am I? Is this something I can handle, or sure. do I need to defray this to someone else? Now, if you're a pretty handy guy, I mean, you can start looking for things. The next step might be to do what they call a cylinder leak-down test. That's where you put air in the cylinder and see where it leaks down. Close both the valves on that cylinder, pump air into the cylinder, 
and see where it comes out. If it comes out the intake, then you've got something wrong with the intake valve. If it comes out the exhaust, you've got something wrong with the exhaust valve. Mm-hmm. If it does not change, then you've got something that's not affected by the valves. For instance, let's say, as you mentioned earlier, you've got a cam lobe that's worn off. Right. Okay, well, that cam lobe being worn off is not going to open that valve. So it's going to stay closed all the time. So the engine's going to misfire. However, that cylinder will still hold air. Exactly. Now, if it leaks down all the time and air comes out the crankcase, you then can you have got rings, rings broken. Piston. You can have a hole in top of the piston. Right. This is just a more of a scientific method to keep you from going wrong on the misfire. Now, if you've got a timing issue, that's going to be much more difficult for the average do-it-yourselfer to sure. diagnose. That could be things like the computer is not sending a pulse to the injector. It's not sending a pulse to the call. It could be the timing, something has slipped to where that cylinder is not actuating when it like should. It's supposed to. Like it said on displacement on demand where something goes wrong with the lift, it's although that would probably affect compression, it can also affect the timing. All these things can get into that. Now, if you've got a multiple cylinder misfire, that's where majority or all of the cylinders are misfiring. Mm-hmm. The approach with that is going to be totally different. Sure, you're looking for something that's going to affect all the cylinders, not just one in particular. It's no use moving the calls and moving the cylinder, uh, moving the calls on the spark plugs, because you know this affects all the cylinders. Right. A single call or a single plug is only going to affect one cylinder. Same thing with the injector. Unless all of the injectors are plugged up, which could happen. It's possible. If you but got some contaminated fuel or something like that, could happen. But it's not, not as likely. More likely, you're looking at things like we said earlier where you've got a fuel filter that's plugged up. You've got fuel pressure that's, that's dropping low. too low or too high. Either way, if the mm-hmm. regulator's stuck and the pressure's too high, it may be flooding the cylinders. That's going to pretty much affect all the cylinders equally. It's not going to affect just one mass airflow meter let's say you've got a oxygen sensor that's bad that's either leaning the cylinders out too much or reaching up too much particularly if all the cylinders on one bank Mm -hmm. are misfiring so you can have a multiple cylinder misfire but if you look at the relationship of all the cylinders to each other let's say all the cylinders on one bank are missing and the ones on the other bank are not well you can look for different things than if all the cylinders on the entire engine are misfiring right what affects this one side this one bank right Something like a, a bad vacuum leak, where, let's say, the intake manifold gaskets are leaking on one side, may cause misfires on all the cylinders on that one side. Sure. But the other bank may be running fine. Something like a timing belt that's been replaced. And, and not timed correctly. Not timed correctly, where they got the timing a tooth off on one of the cams. That can cause misfire on all one bank. Mm-hmm. May cause some on the other bank as well, but it's not going to be as many. It'll be predominantly. You'll have multiple, multiple misfires, say, on bank one. And you may have a few misfires on bank, too, because it's stumbling, trying to deal with the same situation. Sure. And a lot of times the excess fuel and all is going through, freaking out the oxygen sensors because it's seeing all this unburned oxygen in the fuel. So, so it's, it's trying, trying to lean to... back. It may actually lean back the other bank as well. So it just kind of gets more and more and more complicated as you go on. But you know these are, are the kinds of things that you're looking for when you're trying to diagnose misfires. And... If you just go in and then start changing parts, number one, you're not very likely to get close to the problem. And you're going to spend a whole lot of money on parts that didn't need to be spent. Well, and in many cases, the parts you put on may not be as good as the parts you took off. There are some, some very poor 
quality parts out right now. There are, and I guess there always has been, but it just seems like we run across more and more and more of them these days, particularly with a lot of people shopping on the Internet. Right. You go to a lot of these discount places, and they'll say, for instance, AC Delco part. Okay, now, is that a AC Delco cheap line, uh-huh. the AC Delco OEM line, or a counterfeit AC Delco that, that Delco right. had nothing to do with? Because, unfortunately, what's happened, a lot of the name brand companies have figured out, hey, there's a market out there for cheap parts. Mm-hmm. There is. You know, we're trying to sell a good quality part. People Nobody. are looking for something cheap. So we'll just go offshore, get a cheap part made, put it in our box, and sell it for less money, and everybody thinks they're getting a deal. Sure. And that has been going on ever since I can remember. I'm sure ever since you can remember. Yeah, the second line parts. And unfortunately, further, it used to be if you went to a new car dealership, you kind of were going to get a good part. Yeah. But now a lot of the OEM dealerships are selling second line parts. Sure. You know, it's just a cheap line. Again, Ford has the OEM Ford brake pad, which comes in a blue label box. Then they've got the Motocraft pad, which is just an aftermarket pad made by Motocraft for them. Put in a different, put in a, put a different box. box, and unfortunately, more and more as they start to discontinue parts, the OEM part may no longer be available. Right. So you can call the Ford dealer and not necessarily get the Ford part. Nissan has a second line. Toyota, in some yeah. instances, has second line parts. Brake pads is one of the things. I know the other day I ordered a cabin air filter for my new Camry. Right. And it came in. It was visibly a much cheaper part in a Toyota box. Mm-hmm. So I call the guys, look, it's the wrong filter, man. The, the one that came in, oh, you want the OEM filter? Well, absolutely. Well, that, yeah. So it costs about twice as much, but if you sit them side by side, you it's see clearly evident that it's a big, big difference. Sure. Let's see. we got time to take a quick little call here before the break. we got Charles on line. Good morning, Charles. Good morning. How are you? Doing great, sir. Great. got a 08 Highlander. Air conditioner is periodically, it'll blink instead of staying on. Yes, sir. Light. The mm-hmm. light on the AC button will blink and mm-hmm. on. Doesn't do it all the time, although it's doing it more and more. Mm-hmm. Tried to change the relay out. That didn't seem. Yeah, to that's not going to be it, it. Okay. I, Charles. Whenever that light blinks, it's one. It means one thing, although there can be several calls for that one thing. It means that the pulley on the air conditioner is not turning the same speed as the pulley on the crankshaft. That's what it's detecting. That's why it's blinking the light. You know, something's slipping. And okay. it knows when it's slipping, it can burn stuff up. So it starts flashing that light and it disables the compressor. One of the most common thing will be the belt slipping for any number of reasons. For instance, it could be like a worn tensioner. It's not holding the belt tight enough. It could be a worn out belt. It could be some of the shields under the car are not in place. And when you drive through a mud puddle, water splashes up on the belt. There's any right. number of reasons, but it's always going to be that those two pulleys are not turning the same speed. Now, can also be the sensor in one of the two pulleys is bad, and it just doesn't read the same, even though it is turning the same speed. But the car thinks that these pulleys are no longer turning the same speed, and so it's going to kick that light on, and it's going to disable the compressor until you cycle ignition. Okay. And it, it actually stops and starts when you turn the AC off and on. Yeah, you may be you able can. to do it that way. It yeah. may reboot when you do that. A lot of them you have to turn the key off and turn it back on, depending on what kind of code it sets. But yeah, you're just going to have to find out why it's slipping. I mean, there's a number of things. How many miles do you have on the vehicle, Charles? 186. Yeah, higher miles. I would look at the belt real well, make yeah. sure the belt's not worn. If the belt's not worn, I would look at the tensioner, make sure all the shielding that goes under the car, particularly if it happens when you drive on a wet road, not necessarily right. raining. but Right, it started happening a lot more now it's happening wet dry doesn't matter mm-hmm. yeah. so, now uh, it could also be that the drive plate on the clutch on the thing is worn 
and what it's doing is getting hot, and so it start that magnetic call starts to release. A bad clutch can cause the same thing. Anything that causes the, one of those two pulleys to turn at different speed from the other will make that light flash. Okay. Well, I'll look at the belt and then probably go to the clutch after that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Charles. Thank you, man. Thanks right. for calling, man. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to take our second quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Lie back and tell me what's stressing you out, Mr. Hervorted supervillain, arch nemesis of good. I have electric superpowers, blah, blah, blah. And it sounds like you're burnt out and stressed about your job. Yes, Doctor, the pressure is insane. My wife's always nagging me about my evil plans not being up to par. Melting the polar ice caps, blocking out the sun, world domination. None of it's good enough for her. Uh, Some days... I just want a garden. Herr Voltage, I can't really advise you on your super evil plans, but I can offer this advice on gaining some peace of mind. Bring your car in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They check your vehicle, perform needed maintenance, and they catch any problems early so you don't have major repairs down the road. Hmm, I know Agco could work on my Scion, but can they work on my G19 thermonuclear urban assault car copter? You'll have to call Agco about that. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back. If you're joining us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Between tools, we'll try to answer any questions you may have. Just give us a call, 291-6901. And you know, that last caller, one more thing that occurs to me, is not common, but I have seen a plugged-up or restricted cabin air filter cause that problem most definitely because if i don't get enough flow through the evaporator core the gas in the core may not flash flash off completely and if liquid returns to the compressor it's going to lock that compressor up which is going to cause a slip sure which is going to set that light to flash if nothing else it definitely needs a cabin air filter refreshed if it hadn't been done recently so it might be one other thing you just want to take a look at we're going back to our phone lines with kevin good morning kevin hey kevin you there I guess maybe Believe we, we lost him. We may have lost Kevin. But we're talking about cabin air filters right. and all, that's one of those things that really gets overlooked quite a bit. They do. If And the problem is the manufacturer will start putting it in there in a certain year, and a few years later they'll discontinue it. They may. And then a few years later it'll come back. Mm-hmm. So you're not really sure what is exactly in each vehicle without looking at service data or particularly knowing that vehicle. And even... The ones that don't have the cabin filter, they could be retrofitted for a cabin filter. Sometimes they can. And what that filter does is it stops that evaporator core from getting dirty. If that evaporator core can stay clean, it flashes the, the refrigerant gas better, refrigerant more the efficiently, gas like it's supposed to, and see it's operates just like correctly. the air conditioner in your home where you've got the filter that filters the air going into the evaporator core. It just, air is full of dust i know it looks clean and clear when you're looking at it until but you start filtering it yeah you ever start vacuuming your house you're gonna find out pretty quick yeah how, how much dust <laughs> there is in the air exactly. and if you're running that dust through the evaporator core without cleaning it it's it going to eventually plug up the core so right a much bigger problem than you would have had otherwise we got Kevin back online good morning Kevin. hey guys it's Kevin. sorry about that i must have been between towers <laughs> Uh-oh. You're fine but that's the beauty of cell phones that's right so I have an Audi, which you guys don't work on, and I also have another question for a vehicle you don't work on. Okay. But, uh, but I think this will help everybody, hopefully, or at least people with a driveline. So I have a 2020 Peterbilt. Okay. And I was talking with another truck driver out here. I'm hauling sand in the oil field. Mm-hmm. And he looked at my driveline, and he said, you know, I can tell your drive 
axle, your drive shaft, it's not in, uh, it's not lined up. Okay. Uh, he called it out of time, mm-hmm. is what he called it. And when I looked at it, the yoke, where it comes to the, the ends, you would think, or I would think that that would want to be straight across, that that's how they would balance it, is if the yoke would be vertical on one side, the yoke would be vertical on the other side, or at least what I've understood. Does that make sense to you? It's a brand new truck, and that's how it came no, from the factory. Somet- sometimes they are not. Up. Yeah, sometimes they are not. They've got them out of phase to cancel out vibrations and stuff because it's rotating, and they may put them like 90 degrees apart. I've seen that. I don't know exactly yeah. what the theory is behind it. I mean, I would simply, when you get time, maybe go buy a Peterbilt deal and look at another truck and see if it's the same way. Or, obviously, yeah. you could get a copy of service data from or just ask them or maybe even call Peterbilt and tell them you notice this and want to know if it's a problem. But, yeah, sometimes they are not in phase directly with each other. They are designed to cancel each other out. Okay. Yeah, because that's one of the things that I was worried about because I have noticed there's a huge vibration in the truck well, from about hmm. twelve to 1,400 RPM. Well, now, and, you, got, uh, you got that yeah. combined with it. I would certainly bring it to their yeah, it's a new truck, man. I would say, hey, look. You know, I've noticed this, oh, yeah. and I've got a vibration. What do you think? Because, I mean, anything can happen. It could have been assembled wrong from the factory. I mean, just because it's new doesn't mean sure. it's good. Oh, absolutely, and it's and it's an intermediate shaft, too, so it's the one that goes in between the rear axles. Mm-hmm. But but I just figured, you know, I know on vehicles there's not a whole lot of rear-wheel drive cars left, sadly, because, you know, Crown Victim mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, being gone in Grand Marquis. But, but that is something that I was trying to figure out, because that's just something I haven't really heard people talk about much is, drive lines all that much i know pickup trucks still have them but, yep yeah you pick uh, up with some of your suvs and as you said a lot of people don't work on those anymore there's not a whole lot of people who know what they're doing yeah who are qualified to really balance those properly hardly any service them. hardly any yeah. because it's, it's a very specialized field and there's just hardly any of them left out there because it's not as big a demand so i guess not much money to be made i know at one time we had a professional drive right. shop in baton rouge in fact two of them and they're both gone yeah. now well, and, and, you know, that's why I like listening to you guys, because honestly, and this is coming from a guy that's 36, mm-hmm. I can't imagine being a little older, you know, I can see that those service industries are, are they're not around anymore. Right. You know, uh, you know, you want to get a good pair of shoes. You've been, you've talked about Alan Edmonds right. before. Trying to find somebody who's, you know, trying to find a cobbler that's going to do that. That's it's right. almost impossible. It is. We're just in this throwaway generation. So that's I really right. want to thank you guys, because you guys are doing a lot to help people keep their cars on the road keep cars that they can work on on the road by the way there you go because some of these new cars i tell you there's not a whole lot you can do with them unless you have the tech two or yeah. whatever uh, instrumentation you guys need so, yeah hey very, thanks very again little. sorry about losing service there but uh hope you guys are doing well in baton rouge doing great here in west virginia wow <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, so, it's, it's about, about, right. about 65 out there right now so we're doing pretty good <laughs> Well, you know, my parents are—they uh, spend winters down in Florida, and I don't they say that they have—they say they have spring, summer, fall, and summer. Yeah, it's, it. uh, <laughs> it's seventy-five down there. So, well, guys, thank you so much. I sure appreciate it. Thanks for your show, and I'll talk to you later on. All right, Kevin, thanks thank for calling, you. man. All right, bye bye. Bye bye. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going back to our phone lines. We got Bill's been patiently holding. Good morning, Bill. Good morning. Yes, sir. I have a '06 Silverado, mm-hmm. and the blower motor. Mm-hmm will sometimes run and sometimes will not. Yes. And that's in either the AC mode or the heat mode. I can, if it's off, if it doesn't work, I can usually turn the ignition off or on mm-hmm. a couple times and it'll come back working. Okay. Bill, a number of things can cause that, but the first thing I would check, go to where the, underneath the dash where the blower motor is, there's a little module on the side of which is a speed control module. 
and look at the wires going into that and see if they are burned or charred or discolored in any way. And if they are, what you need to do is replace that connector and probably replace the blower motor. Because what happens as the motor gets older, it starts to dry out internally, and you can't get in there and lubricate it. When it does, the amperage draw goes higher. It's supposed to draw about 7 to 8 amps. It'll go up to 15 to 20 amps. It'll start burning up the connectors on it. That's pretty common. And the first symptom is usually an intermittent not work. Sometimes if you just kind of tap on the case down there, it'll start working also. But that is by far the most common. Now, obviously, the control panel itself could go out, and it would cause the same exact problems. That is not as common. But like I said, the, the burn connectors, in fact, at one time, I think they had a recall on that, where they were replacing those connectors at no charge. It's probably ended by now. But check the connectors all good, and you might even check the connector at the blower motor as well. But the first symptom is the connector will start to burn or melt or get shiny, and if you just change the connector, it's coming right back because it's the blower motor that's the root cause of the problem. I see. Okay. I will check that. All righty, Bill. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. All right. got time for one more call. We've got Herb on the line. Good morning, Herb. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. On them drive shafts, mm-hmm. I've put a Menya electric motor on a pump, and you can you don't want one raised uh, out of line. One of them lined up and one of them out of line. But you do want them in phase because they can cause vibration. But you, we we never set a motor straight shot to the pump. Right. It'll vibrate. Well, you got to have a little angle on it so that the rollers and stuff will rotate. Same thing on a car. You You want a slight angle, about a one-degree, two-degree angle. If you don't, then the rollers don't turn and they'll burn up. If it's perfectly straight and in line, it's just going around. Yeah. And you'll see a lot of these people with these trucks, they've jacked them up you mm-hmm. know, it's coming out of the transmission at a well yeah if it's got yeah. too much of an angle you know what's absolutely put, notorious is the little jeeps like little yep. wranglers and stuff because that dry shaft is only about two feet long it's, it's short less than that and if you jack it up man it throws out an extreme angle it starts pitching dry shafts right and left in fact i think it's an aftermarket company that makes a cv joint you can put in there uh-huh. supposedly hold yeah. up to it but it's got to have some it. angle but not too much angle and they got to be in phase as well if the rear end is straight at the transmission and the transmission is gills, you know, mm-hmm. uh, leans a little bit, then it ain't going to stay together neither. Right. Okay, just throwing my two cents. Hey, go ahead. Thanks, Carl, man. All right. All right. I'll right. take our last quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Ah, yes, Mr. Bigfoot. Uh, make yourself comfortable on the couch and tell me what has stressed you out. Uh, I'm just a secluded forest dweller, and I like it like that. But every now and then I get these people hunting me down. There's a TV show, jerky commercials, and now another movie. Then I worry about the hype. If they do find me, will my feet be big enough? Well, Mr. Foot, I can't really do much about these people, but I can tell you how to create some peace of mind in your life. Do like me and take your car to Agco once a year for a general inspection. They provide me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need now and in the future. They can even catch small issues that can lead to big, expensive problems down the road. An Agco general inspection, huh? Oh, one more thing, Doc. Could you tell me where I can find this toilet paper? I've heard wonderful things about it. Here's Agco's number. And the name of another store that may ship some TP straight to your cave. Thanks, Doc. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back 
Dave. He's joining us. The Automotive Hour final segment. I am Lewis, the president of Agco Automotive. Got Mr. Brian Terry, our general manager, right here in the co-pilot seat. Between the two of us, we can answer any questions you may have. Just give us a call in case you don't get a chance to call in, run out of time, or whatever. Something occurred to you during the week while we're off the air. There you go. You can always get your questions answered on our website, which is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There is a contact bar on each and every page. You click the button. It's going to bring up a little form. Fill the form out and hit the send button. There you go. Couldn't be any easier than that. There's also a ton of other things you can do. There's general topics, on, and there are detailed topics. For instance, we were talking earlier about misfires. Uh-huh. There are two detailed topics, one on a single-cylinder misfire and one on a general misfire. Great article. And it kind of summarizes everything we talked about today, plus maybe some other things. There's also one on drive shaft alignment, which we talked about uh-huh. just a second ago. So if you go through the detailed topics, you can search by topic. You can search by all sorts of things. If you want to know about oils, it was when should I change my oil? Mm-hmm. And there's a good article or two or three or four on that. Should I be using synthetic oil or not? Uh, there's articles on that. I mean, there's tons of stuff you can read with a lot of information. And the advantage there is that you have photographs, you have charts, graphs, pictures, and all that sort of thing. There's even a really good one on diagnosing starter problems. And I know people call us all the time with questions about that. And it shows you where to check, what to check. It even has a sound file that tells you the difference between cranking and starting. Yeah, right. It's because people get that wrong a lot. So just look around there. I think you'll find a whole lot of stuff. Probably run out of time if we run out of things to look at. Yeah, that's for fact. <laughs> a lot of good information on there. We were talking about the drive shafts and all uh-huh. just a little bit between Kevin's call and Herb's call. And drive shafts can get out of alignment for a number of reasons. Sure. One of the most common is someone's worked on it and maybe they have put something back together incorrectly. Another is that if you change the height of the vehicle, normally the transmission on rear-wheel drive vehicles is going to be attached to the chassis, so the chassis is going to go up. The differential is the level of the wheels, so that angle of the drive shaft will change a lot. And depending on how long the drive shaft is, is how critical the amount of height change is going to be. Right, because you have to have a slip yoke because the rear end is moving up and down in a plane where the trans isn't. Mm-hmm. So there has to be a, some kind of a slip yoke there because the drive shaft is going to get shorter and longer as the differential goes up and down. Right. So if you don't have enough spline in the back of the transmission, you lift the vehicle high enough, you could actually pull that yoke right well, out the right. back of the trans. Or worse yet, if you lower the vehicle, you could shove that yoke into the trans and cause a vibration. Right. Because it's bottomed out. Of course, the shorter the shaft is, the more drastic the angle is going to be because you've moved two points relative to each other vertically, but horizontally, the shorter that length, the greater the angle is going to change. Sure. Like, let's reference a Jeep for an instance. Right. Little CJs or, or The uh, Jeep has a Wrangler. short drive shaft, 18 inches maybe, very 20 short. inches, very short rear drive shaft. Whereas a, a Grand Marquis has a drive shaft that's about five feet long. Yeah, or Chevy Suburban may have right. one five and a half, six feet long. Now, with a two-piece drive shaft, you can get into the same sort of situation. Let's say this vehicle has a six-foot-long drive shaft, but it has a carrier bearing in the center. Well, now you're dealing with a three-foot drive shaft mm-hmm. because the carrier bearing is not going to change. And if the rear differential does, you've got a shorter shaft, changing angle, greater amount. So the vibration potential is going to be much, much higher with Correct. something like that. Now, other things that can cause that. Of course, the springs over time can sag, sag, which will bring it down. One thing on rear-wheel drive vehicles, particularly older vehicles, is the bushings in the control arms can go bad, which allows the weight of the car maybe to nose that differential down. 
which gives you a severe angle. You may pick up a heck of a vibration or even keeps eating up you joints. You don't know why. Mm-hmm. We had an old Lincoln in the shop this week. Right, and the the nose of the rear end was pitched way down in the front, and come to find out that that vehicle had a wedge that was supposed that was put in there from the factory, and to correct dur- that during the process of the restoration or who, who knows, the so wedges, at some point in time, the wedges got left out, mm-hmm. and the, the rear end was the pinion was nose down, and it was causing a vibration, mm-hmm. and we were able to put the wedge back in it. Well, you couldn't get the wedges. From the original, this was a very old Lincoln. Oh, yeah, and, but 50, we, years, 50 plus years old. Yeah, we were able to get a set which was designed originally for a Jeep, and I think you had to bore the little center hole Made out. a little modification to them. To make them fit, but we were able to get them in there and get the problem fixed, get the drive shaft back in alignment. Uh-huh. Now, it's tempting sometimes. I know when people are custom building a car and they read somewhere that too much angle is a problem, and just... Something about the way the American mindset works. If something's good, more's got to be better. Right. So they'll get on there, and they precisely line this thing up. Well, then they create a problem, either a vibration or it starts wearing U-joints out because there's got to be a slight amount of deviation between those shafts. Mm -hmm. And the angle on the front needs to be about the same as the angle on the rear where they'll cancel each other out. In other words, if it's got one degree on the front, you want one degree on the rear. Right. But You You don't want two degrees on the front, none on the rear. You need a height difference. Correct. Between the two points. That way, as the drive shaft turns, the rollers will turn into caps, turn on the trunnions, and the U-joint keeps itself lubricated. Right. Whereas if you had the trans was at a one-degree angle, the rear end was at a one-degree angle, but they were sitting on the same plane, Right. then the trunnion, the bearings wouldn't turn on the trunnion. Right. If it's just lying with no, no angle at all, just lying straight up, then it may just sit there and turn. It's not going to rotate the Correct. way it should. So. Just because some is good doesn't mean more is better. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Another place where we run across that a lot, and most of the problems we see with U-joints, people have changed the U-joint at some point. Uh-huh. They went to a parts store. They sold them a heavy-duty U-joint with a grease fitting on it. Right. And they said, oh, yeah, these are much better because they can be greased. Well, now, you got to think about this. When something is made where it can be greased, to put more grease in, grease has to be able to come out. So correct. the seal has to be able to leak. Else you couldn't put more grease in it. Right. A sealed U-joint is just that. It's sealed. Nothing gets in, nothing gets out. So they last very, very, very well. The original with, U-joints on your car were sealed. With, no grease fittings. Right. They last so long with no maintenance. Right. And the point of a greasable joint, it means you have to get under there and put grease back in. Well, and if because you're eventually willing, it's going to come out. If you're willing to crawl under your car every three to 5,000 miles and re-grease the U-joints, that's great. And re-grease them properly. Right. Don't sit there and, and just, pump grease till you blow the seal out. But most people, and I would argue no people, are willing to do that. Right. So yeah. what they do instead is they put them in, they grease them up, they and go drive the car, them. forget about them. 15,000, 20,000 miles later, these are dry as, as a bone because right. the now grease is out. Now the U-joint is bad again, and they can't figure out why. So by very, very wide majority, people are going to be better off to go back with the original equipment sealed joint. Right. Most of those joints will last 100 150,000 miles well, at least i mean, I mean i've got, got I've a got lot of vehicles i've got 150 on a chevy truck right now yeah that ain't even hinting about having a u-joint problem. right they just don't have much trouble i mean the options if you are backing this truck down into the water to launch a boat or something and the rear u-joint's underwater right you may have some problems out of it or if you drive through high water continuously and water gets in emulsifies the grease or something like that you may have problems with it but under normal operating conditions, you're probably never going to have trouble with it. Exactly. Now, the problem with these little 
grease fittings is there hard to get to. Sometimes you can't even get to them on the vehicle. Some of them have to have a special tip to go on the grease gun to grease them. It's not a regular alamite fitting. It's a check ball right. fitting. So you got to have a special tip just to attempt to put grease in it. Well, and sometimes you may have to remove the drive shaft to, to get enough it. angle to open it up enough to where a grease gun will even fit in there. Exactly. So it's just one of those things like so many other things. Just because some is good doesn't mean more is better. Get the original equipment part, put it back in there. If you look at it, the original joints probably lasted, oh, what, 150,000 miles? At least. And, you know, you, you, well, I'm going to get something better than that. Okay, well, now, <laughs> no, <laughs> you're not. Yeah, the non-greasable joints are definitely better. Are. And you'll notice a difference in price. The non-greasable joints, when you can find them, are usually a lot more expensive than the greasable joints. Because the greasable joints, ironically, are normally the cheaper joints. Right. So, I see we're just about out of time. Get ready to get on out of here and start winding on up. I'd like to thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, whichever that might be. Find a written view and fill it out for us, please. Yeah, we certainly appreciate that. It moves us up in ranking so more people can listen. And if for some reason you just can't find a place to rank us, you can always go to Google and just type in our company name, which is Agco Automotive, and go and give us a Google review. That works. That way we get the same benefit out of it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.